We are in week two of this series that's actually going to be several weeks long, and it's a series as you walk verse by verse through uh, a very, very popular passage that covers about three chapters in the book of Matthew. And if you have your copy of God's Word, uh, whether it's a digital copy or printed copy, of course, we're going to have it on the screen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, as we continue in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. Which is, uh, and really, it's not on a, on a mountain. It's more, more of a hill, uh, kind of per se. You can actually go uh, to Israel and uh, see about where uh, Jesus would have preached this sermon uh, in front of many, many, many people. And obviously, specifically in front of his uh, disciples. But Jesus presents this sermon early in his ministry. His disciples are excited and hopeful about the new kingdom that Jesus is going to usher in through his leadership, power, and might. Uh, They are tired of the Roman aggression. They are tired because Rome ruled the world uh, at that time. And their hopes of becoming uh, a reality as Jesus reaches rock star status. And as thousands of people come and he's healing people and massive crowds. And Jesus begins to teach. And he sets down and he is teaching this. And the disciples anticipate powerful uh, leadership uh, words to this crowd that will catapult a massive movement to overthrow the Roman tyranny. To their surprise, this speech begins with the word blessed. They're thinking this is going to be a speech. And this actually is a sermon. And it begins with the word blessed. Pastor Terry Kruger shared the opening message of the series last week, did a great job. It begins with what is called the Beatitudes, The title, Beatitudes, come from the Latin word beatus, which means blessed or happy. It's a list of promises for when we live out certain examples. For example, the blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, those who are meek, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are merciful, who are pure in heart, who are peacemakers. Jesus then goes on to say, blessed are those who are persecuted Because of righteousness, and when people insult you or falsely say evil against you because of me. Jesus ends with this command and promise, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And so this is not exactly what the disciples were thinking. (laughs) Blessed are those who are persecuted. Jesus, what are you talking about? You're ushering in a new kingdom. You're going to You're the Messiah, and their thinking was all along, the Messiah's going to come and and get rid of Roman tyranny, and we're going to set up a new kingdom, and you're going to be king. The only problem is, they thought it was a certain kingdom, an earthly kingdom, and Jesus is like, no, this is a heavenly kingdom. This is a heavenly kingdom that's going to start on earth, but it's going to be where heaven and earth connect. And obviously, later on, it would connect through the power of the Holy Spirit, And the church would be born. We just got through singing a song about that. The church would be born. And so, Jesus begins a sermon with those virtues to set up and support the next points. And so, we're going to read. Our passage today is going to be Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to just read uh, these uh, verses all together. uh, Verse 13 through 20. You are... 
This is Jesus talking, obviously. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a, uh, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Would you bow with me as we say the word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we just opened up your word. We read it. Lord, these are, these are your words, Jesus and Lord, it is a, a, a great weight of responsibility as I'm up here uh, teaching your words. And I pray, Father, that you speak uh, through your word, Lord. And I pray, Father, you move me out of the way and you help, uh, you help your spirit to move and to speak into the hearts of everyone here today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus tells the disciples, you are the salt of the earth. Now understand that Jesus is not only talking to the disciples back then, but to all of the disciples. That means to those of us who have committed our lives to following Jesus, guess what? Jesus is telling us, you and I, if you've accepted Christ as Savior, he's telling us you are the salt of the earth. Not you might be or you could be. You know, or if you get your act together, you just might. No, no, no. You are salt. Now, what does that mean? <laughs> this, let's look at the purpose of salt. There's, there's several purposes of salt. And I love that Jesus uses uh, this analogy of salt. And it's so wonderful. Because we can apply it today. Because guess what? Salt is things that we have in our lives. And we use it every day. We may not even think about it. But we do. So, number one, salt has flavor. Salt has flavor. For example, I have this bowl of chips. Okay? Tortilla chips. You go to a Mexican restaurant, you get chips. And let me tell you, if you eat chips without salt, it tastes really bland. Now, these are really good. Why? Because they got salt on them. And let me tell you something. I could down me some chips. I could probably eat this whole bowl. I'm not supposed to eat a bunch of chips, according to my doctor. But today, I, I get to because it's a sermon illustration, right? Amen. So, but these chips are salty, and they taste really, really good. But if you've ever eaten a, a chip without any salt, it's very bland. There's no flavor. And a lot of the food that we eat has salt in it. And what's interesting is that it doesn't take much to season something with salt. Just a little dash 
a half a teaspoon or whatever you're cooking. And, but no one ever talked about the salt, unless it's way too much. Man, this food is way salty. But you never like, man, that, that salt, man, that salt was really, really good. It kind of just blends in and disappears. But if it's not there, then you notice it, right? This thing's missing something. It's missing some flavor, something there. Now, at the Bennett house, we, we use a lot of Cajun seasoning, and it has salt in it. But I, everything we, almost everything we, uh, I don't cook, but my wife, my Cajun queen, she cooks a lot of things with some Cajun seasoning. It's got some salt in it. And I tell you, without that, it just doesn't have any flavor. So Jesus is telling us that we bring flavor into this world as believers. We are not to be bland. Okay, it, it, when I meet Christians, and they're just barely living out their life, it's like you don't even know they're Christian because they're, they're just sort of, you know, incognito. It's like, dude, you're bland. Have some flavor. Bring some flavor into the world, into the relationships that God has surrounded us with. We are not to be bland, but rather cause others to crave what we have. These right here, I know some of you are craving them. In fact, if I just take this bowl and I just throw it out there, I know there's going to be people crawling to get some of these chips. I know the youth will because they're crazy. But these right here, these chips, man, if somebody opens a bag of chips, and it's amazing, you can hear in a house, if somebody opens a bag of chips, it doesn't matter what's going on, it's like, I hear a bag of chips being opened. And you just go right there to it because why? You crave it. It doesn't matter what kind of chip it is. Okay? And so, but we should be the same way. We should bring flavor, and people will want to have what we have, to crave what we have. So number one, salt brings flavor. Number two, salt brings thirst. Salt brings thirst. In fact, as I'm eating that salt, I'm a little thirsty. And so when you come across salt, you're, it brings thirst. So what is, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying that when we uh, sprinkle a little bit of Jesus' salt on people, they will begin to thirst for living water and new life in Christ. It will make them thirst. Pastor Terry just talked about that in Beatitudes last week. Hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. They will see what God is doing in us if we are salt to people. And they will hunger and thirst for the righteousness that is in us, not because of, 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 of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done, but because what they see in us through Jesus. So salt brings flavor. Salt brings thirst. Salt preserves. Before refrigeration, salt was used as a meat preservation we are to preserve the standards written in God's word to a lost world. Let me say that again. We are to preserve the standards written in God's word to a lost world. We are to use our godly influence in all aspects of society. This brings us in, uh, incredibly to outreach of the gospel. If you, if you break apart the word uh, preserve, you get the word pre 
serve. Pre-serve. This literally means before you serve. Before, pre, you serve. Before you serve Christ and serve others, you need to preserve your testimony with your actions and speech. If not, then people will not see a connection to your witness. This is huge. This is huge. Let me tell you what. If you, if you tell others and show others that you're a Christ follower, we got to live it out. We're going to make mistakes, absolutely. I've made many of them. And I've even had to go back to people and say, you know what, I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have acted in that way or I shouldn't have put myself first, you know, that kind of stuff. But we've got to do everything we can through the power of the Holy Spirit to live a life that preserves what, what God is doing in us and preserve what's, what's in his word. Because before we serve them, we've got to show them that we mean that, that we mean that we are believers. And not only we, we, we believe it, but we live it out. And so we've got to pre-serve. We've got to preserve that through our actions, through our words. And then there's, it brings credibility when we say, hey, would you come to church? Well, I'd love to come to your church, but you're kind of a hypocrite because all, all, you know, there's all kinds of cuss words coming out of your mouth and you're talking about these things and, and, and all this filth. You know, we, we, we can't live like that, okay? So we've got to make sure that we preserve that, um, that holiness, that righteousness that God has put into our lives. So salt brings flavor, thirst, it preserves, and it also heals. Salt is a healing agent. We are to bring healing to the lives of people. There's so many hurting people in this world, so many hurting people. And so we've got to be able to bring that healing to them. We have the remedy. We have the prescription. That prescription is new life in Christ. So people don't feel alone. They don't feel ashamed. And so we've got to make sure that we're not distracted enough in this world that we overlook the people who are hurting around us. If you don't know people who are hurting, it means you're distracted. That's just, that's just the, the God truth. If you don't know people around you who are hurting, it means you're distracted. And so ask the Lord, Lord, show me who, who are hurting. The people who are hurting around me. And then guess what? Those are people you could pray for. Those are people you could pray for. Put them on your phone. Make a prayer list on your phone. Say, and, and you have people that, that you could pray for who are hurting or lonely or confused and if, as you do that, students, I encourage you to do the same thing with your friends, okay? And, and as you do that, then what you're doing is that you're bringing healing to them. One of the things we're, I'm excited about, we're starting up this week, is actually a grief share ministry. There's lots of grief that's in our church and in our community through, uh, through uh, some deaths in, in the families and the community. And so we are bringing it. We have like 11 people signed up to do grief share that starts this coming Tuesday at the ministry center. And we're very excited about that because what it does is going to give us an opportunity to bring healing uh, to people. And it's not, uh, the people that are coming, they're not all non-believers. In fact, most of them are believers. But even believers, we can be hurt 
And so we want to make sure that we come alongside each other, pray, pray for one another, and, and we provide healing. That's why it's so important to have a church family to be a part of. So salt brings flavor, thirst, it preserves, it brings healing. But as we see in verse 13 there, salt can lose its saltiness. In fact, it says, and if salt loses its saltiness, how could it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. What does that mean? Well, what Jesus is saying is that Christians stop serving our purpose when we stop living in faithfulness to God. Christians, we stop living our purpose when we stop living in faithfulness to God. The recent references to Beatitudes before this put that purpose in context. When, when Jesus' followers stop being poor in spirit, when we stop living in repentance, when we stop being meek, when we stop having an appetite for righteousness and stop being merciful and stop serving, we, we, we just stop serving our purpose on the earth. This is, this is catastrophic. Unthinkable. It's like as if the salt were to lose its flavor. And back in the day, a lot of people would get their salt even from like the salt sea, the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea in, in Jerusalem, in, in, in Israel, is, is a sea that, that flows from the Sea of Galilee down the River Jordan into the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea, and it has no way, uh, has no out from there, outflow. It's just dead. It's still, but it's very, very salty. And a lot of people would get their salt. Well, when they would get their salt from that, it would be, it, it would be sometimes a little bit contaminated or diluted, and it wouldn't taste right. And so, what is it used for? Well, nothing. And so they, they just have to throw it out. And so Jesus is making a reference to that, something that they, that they can make sense with. And so Jesus is telling them, look, don't act, don't, don't be salt that is no good to anymore. And he's not saying that it's a loss of, uh, of salvation, but a loss of purpose. A loss of purpose. You will lose your purpose as a believer if we're not faithful and if we don't look at the Beatitudes. That's why he started with the Beatitudes. If you want to be, uh, if you want to be salt of the earth, then here are the things you got to start with. Here are the things you need to start with there at the beginning of chapter 5. So he talks about the salt of the earth. Then he says, you are the light of the world. Not you can be, you might be, but you are the light of the world. We are to shine in darkness. If you haven't noticed yet, the world is getting darker and darker. Oh, my goodness. Just even in the last six months. Just, it's getting darker and darker. The darker it gets, the more lost and confused the world becomes. There's a ton of confusion happening right now. If you just look at the news, and now sometimes you say, man, I don't look at the news. And that's probably not a bad thing. But as you look at the news and you talk to people, I mean, it's like there's so much confusion happening. People don't know who they are from their sexuality, their gender, their purpose in life. They're so confused. We are placed here to be a light. The best example of a light is the moon. If you look at that, the moon is a great example. It shines when the day is darkest. It shines when the day is darkest. When, uh, when conversations at work 
our school suddenly grow dark, we are to shine the truth of Jesus. But it's not a harsh light. Let me make sure you understand that. The moon is not a harsh light. You never go outside and go, oh my gosh, I'm blinded by the moon, okay? You don't do that. When you're driving at night and, and, and the moon comes out, you don't put your sun visor down. Why? Because it's not a harsh light. We need to shine like the moon. We don't need to be harsh about it. We need to wrap that light in love to a world that's confused. We just need to be there shining a light. We need to be there shining a light. We, need to, we don't need to, we need to point to how bad people are. That's harsh. We just need to share the love of Christ, but then also have boundaries of what we believe and say, you know, I, I can't believe like that because <laughs> it's against what, what I believe in God's word. You know, blame it on the word of God. It's like, I, I can't follow you with that. I can't, I can't believe like you do because it goes against the word of God and, and, and God's word says this and I believe that. And so blame it on the word of God. That's how we can live our life. But we should be like the moon, wrapped in love. To put it best, it's simply a reflection of Jesus. That's what the moon does. It does not have its own source of light. Contrary to what you might think, the moon does not have a source of light. There's no light coming from the moon. It's a reflection of the sun. That's all it is. We are to be the same way. We are to reflect the Son, S-O-N, the Son of God, <clears throat> Jesus. As the light of Jesus is inside of us, our lives should reflect that. We should not try to bring our own source of light, our own goodness. That's not what it's about because that's a, that's a fake light. That's a false light. We are to reflect the light of Jesus. Jesus says in, in John 8, 12, when, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So be like the moon and reflect the light of the sun. Don't try to create your own light. When you do that, people will be drawn to the light. People will be drawn to your light. It's kind of, a, kind of like a campfire. It will be drawn to that. This past Friday, we had a bunch of students from Red Top Middle School at our ministry center. And uh, some of our students were there as well to, to mingle and get to know them. But we had what is called a Fire Friday. We, we uh, served hot dogs and, and, and pizza and made some s'mores. We had some uh, awesome uh, adults uh, from our church and, and from the school as well who came and, and helped with that. And it was a great event. And we had a huge bonfire. In fact, this bonfire was huge. Our elders built this bonfire. And man, you could tell a bunch of men just built this bonfire because man, it, it lit up. And man, it's like uh, you could see it from the moon, you know, from outer space. This thing was huge. And, uh, but, but the kids were drawn to it, especially as nighttime fell and darkness went around. Our kids were, were drawn to that. And so you, people will be drawn to the light that is inside of you. That would be drawn to your light. And so, um, and in fact, I, I, I was able to experience this on another level this week. So this week, uh, I did something that I never thought I, I, I would be asked to do. 
And they actually called me a few weeks ago. So the, uh, the Walmart in Ackworth, uh, the manager called me and said, hey, we are, we've been redesigning the interior of our store, and we're going to have a, a, a ribbon cutting and a grand reopening of our Walmart here in Ackworth. And we wanted to know, would you come and say a prayer of dedication? I was like, yeah. How many of y'all believe we need to pray over Walmart, right? You've seen some of the people, amen? All right. And so, um, I mean, I shop there too, you know. And so, when, uh, so I said, absolutely. And so, I was able to go over there, and, and it was great. It was a lot of fun. We got there, and there was a DJ there, and all the Walmart employees, there's, there's a ton of them. They were doing, like, all this line dancing in the parking lot. I was like, man, this is crazy. This is awesome. And so, I went up there and got to know a lot of people, and I shared uh, a great prayer of dedication, and I gave them some encouragement and, and everything. And... And it's like, I never thought Walmart would call a minister and ask them to say a prayer of dedication. Here's the reason why. Because our church is a partnership with that Walmart through Mission Christmas. When we do Mission Christmas, we partner with that Walmart, and they've seen us in our church walking around at Christmas time with people that we're helping, we're shopping with, and they remember, hey, that church that came and shopped people and with people and they, and they literally bought Christmas gifts for their kids, uh, we want to invite them. Obviously, they couldn't invite all of us. They said, well, let's just call the pastor. But the, because you were there at Walmart for the last three years at Mission Christmas, they connected that. It's like, we're drawn to that. That is real that is not a fake light. That is a real light as we are reflecting Jesus and taking care of the least of these. And so we, I did that. And so I was able to be a light. And so when we are a light, you never know what people will ask you to do. The world needs our light. We are called out of darkness into his wonderful light. We see this in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into what? His wonderful light. He's talking about the church. This is Peter one of the closest disciples of Jesus. He's telling the church, you were called out of darkness into his marvelous, wonderful light. So we need to be like the moon and reflect the light of Jesus. So as we, as we mosey on down to the latter part of this, what we just read earlier in Matthew chapter five, Jesus has gone, goes on to explain how he is a fulfillment of the law. It's a gained fame throughout healing miracles and uh, compelling teaching. Some of Jesus' critics claimed that he was teaching people to ignore the law of Moses. That's a very big, that's a very big no-no in, in, in Jewish law. Hostile religious leaders began to falsely say he was teaching a new or different law from what God gave the nation of Israel. But Jesus counters that lie, and he is calling for the law of Mo he's not calling for the law of Moses to be abolished like they say he was. He tells all those who are listening his intent not to discard the law or the prophets, basically, which is the Old Testament, 
Jesus would have no desire to discard what's in the Old Testament. Jesus declares that he is coming to fulfill the law and the prophets. The key point of understanding scripture is everything in the Jewish scripture, which is now basically the Old Testament, everything in the, what is our current Old Testament has been pointing people forward to the arrival of Jesus Messiah. In fact, I'll tell people, I'll tell new believers all the time, hey, where should I start reading the Bible? I would tell them, don't start in Genesis. <laughs> I mean, Genesis, I mean, you know, you, you can, but, you know, you start in Genesis then, I mean, it's kind of interesting, then it gets, gets freaky, and then you go and tell the law, and it's like, okay, what does this mean, and everything. I tell people all the time, start in the New Testament. In fact, I, if I were you, I would start the book of John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the fourth book in the New Testament. Start with John, keep reading, and if you want to read the New Testament again, you, could, you can start with, with Matthew, and just take in the New Testament. Take in Jesus. And then when you've kind of got that little soaked in, you've read it a couple of times, then go to the Old Testament. Because guess what? You're going to see traces foreshadowing of Jesus in the Old Testament. You're going to be like, wait a second. This prophet is talking about Jesus. And there's so much that will come, come alive in the Old Testament. Because if you start with the Old Testament, some of that's just not going to make sense. But if you, if you read the New Testament first a couple of times, then go to the Old Testament, you are able to connect those. Now, there's actually some Bible studies and, and devotionals out there that actually do that connection, a little bit of the Old Testament uh, connecting to the New Testament. And those are great as well. But I just want to let you know that that is a great way for you to kind of better understand the Old Testament. The New Testament helps you to better understand the Old Testament. But Jesus didn't come to abolish the Old Testament. In fact, he was, his life was fulfilling a lot of what was in the Old Testament. It was pointing forward to Jesus. The law described a life perfect, sinless righteousness with no Israelite has been able to fulfill until Jesus arrived. He was the first and the last to accomplish this. In addition, the, the sacrificial system given to Israel by God in the law requiring the killing of animals, blood sacrifice to pay for human sin, they were effective only temporarily until what? New sins were committed. Then more blood had to be spilled. Jesus, though as perfect, sinless human sacrifice of sin, fulfilled the need for that blood sacrifice once and for all. So in other words, back in the Old Testament, something that was innocent and sinless had to die. That was an animal, a lamb. Okay, for example, lamb, you would sacrifice a lamb without spot, without wrinkle, without disease, you know, the best of the best. You would sacrifice that, and, and, and literally the, the father of the family would lay their hand on the head as the priest would slit the throat of the lamb and spill its blood and, and, and have, a, uh, have a prayer, and God would forgive their sins because, um, uh, because of that redeeming blood. And so that happened many times over. Okay, people, people would, would do that often. 
as sin came into their lives and, and different ones. And, and it's explained in the law, but Jesus came to, uh, to fulfill that and to really just kind of say, okay, that was an old way of doing this. I am the ultimate sacrifice. If you believe upon me, I can take away your sin once and for all. He died once and only once, and that's all it takes. I love this in, uh, in Jeremiah 31. 31 through 34, that, and this is one of the prophets, and this is Jesus fulfilling it. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, there's a key word, new covenant, with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Though I, was a, a hus, uh, though I was a husband told them, declares the Lord, this is a covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their weakness and will remember their sin no more. So what he's saying is this Jeremiah. He's foreshadowing Jesus. I've got a new covenant. Lord speaking through Jeremiah, the prophet. There's going to be a new covenant. And that new covenant is going to be someone who's going to come in to our world and he's going to die for us. And, and through that, the Holy Spirit is going to live inside of us and his word is actually going to be living on our hearts and our minds. As the Holy Spirit teaches us and draw us, draws our life and aligns our life to what is in God's Word. And as we live that life, as Jeremiah said, we, uh, we, will, uh, we will live for Him and we will not live for ourselves. And so as our lives are, are aligned, we will know God from least, least to the greatest when the, as the Holy Spirit speaks and reveals. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm, not, here to, I'm not here to abolish the, the Old Testament and the law. In fact, as you accept me as Savior, and as the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, then your life will align to what is in the law. Why? Because the Spirit wants you to, and the Spirit tells you, and the Spirit guides you. And when you don't, guess what? There's conviction. And then we align our life again. We go to the Lord. We ask the Lord to forgive us of our sin. We ask the Lord for strength to live that life. And so Jesus is like, look, don't listen to those Pharisees and those teachers of the law. Because they're, they're telling false things. I'm not here to abolish the law. And then we read as the last three verses in what we read. In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 18, we read that not a single letter of the law will pass away until his mission is accomplished. When the current heaven and earth pass away and a new heaven and earth are created. In the meantime, we are to obey the law and the prophets. Jesus' intent is not to throw away God's commandments, only to understand them as they are meant to be understood. So to close out this section... Jesus demands a standard which have sounded impossible to his listeners. As we see that in verse 19 and 20. 
Specifically, verse 20, when he says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter into the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying there is this. The Pharisees and the scribes were experts of the law and the scriptures. They were famous for extremely keeping every bit of the law. In fact, they were so careful that they added layers upon layers of details and rules and regulations on top of the law so they never came close to breaking it. It was very, very legalistic. Pharisees were extraordinarily strict about what it took to follow the law in order to be righteous. Jesus is making two distinct points here. Number one, the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees is false. It's false. It's man-made. It's legalistic. Even John the Baptist called them out as, as needing repentance. As Jesus will emphasize later in this sermon as we go on and continue in the next few weeks, God cares far more about what is in a person's heart than how other people perceive them. Jesus Jesus cares about what's in your heart than how people perceive you. So we don't need to act like a believer just so people will think we're good. We need to be drawn to the believer in, in time of prayer and study and worship. And the natural outflow of what is in our hearts will spill over into the people and we will shine like the sun, a reflection of the sun, and we will flavor the world and cause people to thirst after righteousness. So Jesus is saying, look, this, that's a fake righteousness, what the Pharisees are doing. And then the second thing he pointed out there in verse 20 is that no one can keep the perfect law. No one can keep the law, the Ten Commandments. God, that's the reason why God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, it's like, all right, if you want to live, if you want to join with me, with me in heaven, if you want to uh, be perfect, you need to follow. Here's just 10 things. Let's just start with 10. Here's 10. And if you can live these with, with not obeying any one of them, you live a perfect life. Well, no one, no one has ever done that except for Jesus. No one has ever done that. And no one will ever do that. Why? Because we're born with sin in our life. We are drawn to sin. And so that's really the whole point. Look, I know you can't do that. It's fine. But guess what? I'm here to help you. In fact, I'm here to, to be that sacrifice. All you got to do is just surrender your heart to me. Surrender your life to me. I love what Paul said in Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, we have all sinned and we've all fall short of his glory. But he wants you to be salt and light. He wants you to bring flavor to people. He wants you to bring thirst, for people to thirst what you, what you have. Not because of what you do, 
but just because you're a reflection of Jesus as you shine his light, as you reflect his light. And we are to preserve what is inside of us as our life is lined up with the holy word of God. But you know what? I'm a sinner. All of us are sinners. And so as we sin, as we fall short of the glory of God, we can confess our sin and know that he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all of our unrighteous deeds, all of our unrighteousness. And if you have not surrendered your life to him, if you've not said, you know, I'm a sinner, I gotta do something about this, we're gonna give you that opportunity right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please, at this time. Whether you're listening online, watching online, or here today, it's so important that you just make, make things right with the Lord. And so if you have sin in your life, maybe you have some unconfessed sin, and, and believers, y'all, we can, we can pick up on sin. And if you, you have picked up on some sin this past week, and if you did not confess that, maybe you were talking negative about a person or spreading something about someone, or maybe you, you participated in something, or maybe you just didn't trust in the Lord about something, or maybe you were, you were prideful, whatever the case may be. I want you to confess that sin to the Lord. Say, Lord, just forgive me for that. I confess that to you. Please help me to live my life aligned to your word. Help me be a reflection of your light inside me. And if you're here today, you've never confessed that sin and asked the Lord to be your light. You could do that right now. Just say a simple prayer like this. Father, I believe you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. Please forgive me my sin. Help me to live for you. Come into my life. Be Lord of my life. I surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So I want to encourage you this week. First of all, if if you've prayed a prayer, whether you're you're here or you're watching or you could just let me know you, you prayed that prayer for the, for the first time that you want to you wanna follow Jesus. You could send me an email, pastor at lakepointonline.com or, or frank at lakepointonline.com. It all goes the same place. And so just let me know, hey, I, I accepted Jesus. And so we would help you get into some next steps of, uh, of uh, just walking um, your life through him. And so, um, but just know this. Um, the more that you are connected with people and connected with the church, the more that you can be a light and you can be salt of, this, uh, of the earth. And I want to encourage you to um, invite people uh, to church. So think about some people who you know who need to be here today uh, or next week. And as we continue to walk in this message of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, don't forget next week also after church for all of our recent guests, we'd love for you to sign up for our, our Sunday um, uh, lunch. And uh, be praying also this week about our grief share as we start that up this week. We love you guys. We'll see you all next week. Thank you so much.